Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast where we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. Well, guess what? It's the 12th day of August 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. We are here. I am posting today episode number, say it with me, folks, 1,300. And 89. I am perilously close to episode number 1,400. And unless I've missed my guess, I will have episode 1,500 at some point this calendar year. Wouldn't that be something? 1,500 damn episodes, days in a row? That's, uh, that's an accomplishment. I don't know what it really says, but uh, uh, it's an accomplishment. Hey, um, let's talk about a couple of things right now. Yeah, today's going to have a little bit of Northeast bias. You're going to have to get used to that for a second. Uh, let me tell you something. If you don't like the Northeast bias now, say, Sally talks too much about the Red Sox and Yankees. and just, Don't worry. This October, I'm not going to be talking about New York baseball. And it looks like I'm not going to be talking about Boston baseball. So let me get it out now. Now, as of this recording, as I'm sitting here in this room in uh, uh, Palo Alto, uh, the Red Sox are like, okay, let's go, let's go. Let's open up the wild card standings as it is right now. If the playoffs started today, playoffs started today, the Red Sox would still be in the playoffs. They would, be, they would lose to the Baltimore Orioles in the wild card game. That's only because the Red Sox got a wonderful help from the Seattle Mariners, who swept the Detroit Tigers but stopped the presses. The Seattle Mariners are charging super hard. And look at that. They're only a game out of a playoff spot themselves. The Red Sox, you know... It's amazing how fast. This is one of the great things about baseball and one of the things about baseball that makes you want to pick up a rake and beat yourself in the face with it. The Red Sox won game one of the series against the Yankees, had a lead deep into game two. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, great. Win the first two games against the Yankees and play for the sweep. Well, as it turns out, the bullpen had an absolute meltdown. And like, okay, well... That happens, but play Pineda, you know, beat the snot out of Pineda. They got a great performance of Eduardo Rodriguez, and I'm thinking, all right, take two out of three from the Yankees. You can't, look, if you take two out of three from anybody, that's how you win. That's how you win baseball games, is take two out of three from, play, from teams. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, okay, cool, cool. And the Red Sox bullpen Again, collapse. And Ben Attendee, the, the new phenom, uh, lost a ball in the lights. 
Red Sox collapse. The Yankees are two games above 500. They're only three and a half games out of a playoff spot, and they sold off all their veterans. This is a team that's essentially playing washed-up players and minor leaguers. And, yeah, they're two games above 500. They have to leapfrog Houston, Seattle, Detroit, and the Red Sox in order to get to a playoff spot. And while I don't see that happening, the fact that, you know, I, I believe the Astros are a contender and the Yankees are only one game in the loss column behind them, is it out of the realm of possibility to see the Yankees go on a win streak? And here, I'll go on, I'll go take it a, an issue further. What if this Friday, Alex Rodriguez plays his final game, and like a bad tooth being removed, the great distraction, now I believe the distraction of Alex Rodriguez is, is kind of bizarre, but I get it. What if that distraction finally removed from the Yankees, they just relax, there's no more attention put on them, they've already waved the white flag, and they go on a little bit of a winning streak. Is it possible? Perhaps. I don't know. I think the Mariners are better equipped for a winning streak. I think Detroit's better equipped for a winning streak. I think Houston's better equipped for a winning streak. But this season's so bizarre, I don't know what to make of anything. The L.A. Dodgers lost Clayton Kershaw right around the same time the Giants had the best record in baseball. And the Dodgers caught him for a day in the standings. I don't know what to make of this. It makes no sense. The Yankees have a, are a 500 team that sold off their best players. Meanwhile, the Royals and the White Sox both went for it. The Royals and White Sox are sub 500. The Yankees are above 500 and, and, and can convince themselves they're in the periphery of a playoff chase. I don't, I, I, this is, this is kind of like, that sensation you get, like, I don't understand reality anymore. This is, this, is, this is a new plane of existence. It doesn't make sense to me. While the Red Sox right now have a playoff spot, that is just tenuous. I, I really, now, now look it. A lot of tiny things have broken against the Red Sox. Ben Attendee overruns a ball. A ball doesn't go into the gap of this and that. A little thing here, a little thing there. They could have won some of these games instead of lost them. It's not like they've been blown out. But it makes me worried, especially since all the players on paper bringing in Abad, Price, Pomerantz, Kimbrell, uh, um, Ziegler, they all seem like, God, these are exactly what have to, need to happen with the Red Sox. They've got two starters. Two, you know, two or three relievers. This is great. They built it up from them, and all the players I just mentioned have been, you know, let's just put it this way: not a lot of highlight reels of them right now. Not a lot of moments where where Boston fans are are jumping up and down. Hey, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say David Price Red Sox shirts aren't exactly flying off the racks at the. Uh, uh, you know, where would it be? At the Red Sox Souvenir Store. You know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. They could be absolutely flying off the racks. I, they, this, this could be a wrong assumption on my part. I really don't think that I am. So let's get down to it, shall we? 
You know, the Mets are in a bad place right now. The Mets are currently a 500 team. Can you believe that? The Mets are a 500 team. This team went to the World Series last year. This team, if they were able to, you know, not blow a bunch of saves down the in the World Series, may have won it all last year. This team was a team that I thought was going to win the National League East. They are now three games back of a wild card spot, which is, with about a month and a half to play, certainly doable. And also when you keep in mind that the teams that they are pursuing, the Dodgers, as I said before, even though they are up four games in the wild card and only a game back of San Francisco, are a flawed team that could very well go on a losing streak. You could say the same thing about Miami. Uh, Pittsburgh hasn't seemed to get out of its way to have the big, big rush to get into the postseason. St. Louis is St. Louis, and although they lost on what I thought was a bad ball for call to end the game, uh, they're still a quality team. So the, the possibility of them making up those three games is still there. And yet, there is a look of this team and a sensation of this team, which is truly bizarre. They, the, the Mets are no longer the best team in New York in terms of win-losses. And the Mets are just by the slimmest of margins closer to a playoff spot than the Yankees. The bragging rights that the Mets had over the Yankees, which looked like it was about to become a generation, has lasted 10 months. The Mets had an opportunity to absolutely buy the, the city of New York back from the Yankees. It's happened twice in history. It happened in the late 60s when the Yankees became irrelevant and the Mets became shot up and became the world champions when no one saw that coming and they became the draw of the city from the late 60s and into the mid-70s until Steinbrenner rebuilt Yankee Stadium and the Bronx Zoo took place. Okay. And then in the mid-1980s, when Steinbrenner kept his whack-a-mole style of ownership going, it was the Mets who took advantage of the terrible years they had in the late 70s and early 80s to build up the team that looked like it was going to become a dynasty, but at least won one of the great moments, look, I discovered a Red Sox fan, one of the great moments in the history of New York baseball, <clears throat> excuse me, which is the 86 World Series, and went on to win another division along the way. And for a period of time, from the mid to 80s to the end to the early 90s, well, pretty much 1990, the Mets owned the city of New York. Trust me, I was in New York in 1990. That's when I moved to New York City. The Yankees had no presence. They had no fans. They couldn't draw. When they do 20,000, it looked like a big game, and all the talk was they got to move out of Yankee Stadium. They got to move out of Yankee Stadium. And the team looked helpless, and the Mets had it. And it looked like we were about to see that happen again.
The Yankees, finally the, the great team that was built up from the ashes of the early 1990s, the core four, the championships, the Tory, the evil empire, all the way, no matter how you want to put it, tipping your cap to Jeter, putting the two in respect. Well, guess what? Those days are over. Though you know, A-Rod's going to be gone, Teixeira's going to retire, Sabathia's a shell of his former self, and who's also in that championship team? Oh, Brett Gardner. There you go. Kids are going to be saying, oh, I remember going to Yankee Stadium to watch Brett Gardner. Not the, nothing against Brett Gardner. He's a nice player and everything like that, but it doesn't exactly... You know, they're not going to have a Yankeeography on Brett Gardner. And the Mets with its team and likable team and all of a sudden come up, have that spectacular finish to 2015, beat L.A., beat Chicago, get to the World Series. Lost the World Series, okay, but they're going to build upon that, build on that foundation. And what do we have? A 500 team and a manager who had a, who had a, a Howard Beale and Network press conference where he was starting to just he spouted off more cliches of old-timey baseball than you can imagine and just looked like a guy who was at the end of his rope talking about you gotta play to want it yeah he praised Neil Walker and he was talking about if these guys don't want it there's a bunch of guys in Las Vegas who do now Las Vegas is the the top minor league team of the New York Mets, which I think is bizarre. I mean, of all the minor league teams on the East Coast, I mean, why isn't there a top minor league team in Syracuse or Buffalo or Rochester, somewhere in New York or maybe in New Jersey or something? But no, it's you have to go all the way to Vegas. And 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 it's also a strange thing when you got a you know a guy in his twenties or early thirties making a you know probably making over a million dollars and having your manager say, "Hey, look at." If you don't get your act together, you're going to go to Vegas. Do you want to go to Vegas? I'm sure some of these guys are thinking, yeah, I probably wouldn't mind going to Vegas right now. And so I was watching Terry Collins thinking, this guy's going to get fired. This guy's going to be shown the door. This guy is gone. Now, I do. who are you going to replace him with? I don't know. But somebody, somebody's got to go. Because right now, Terry Collins is the longest tenured manager in the National League East. Think about it. Last year, Matt Williams was the manager of the Nats. Now it's Dusty Baker. Uh, last year, they had the weird that Jennings came in to manage the the Marlins. Now it's Don Mattingly. Uh, last year you began with Ryan Sandberg managing the Phillies, and now it's uh, it's they're being managed by Pete always uh, McCacken. Oh, McCacken. I always mispronounce his name. I apologize. He's a baseball lifer. Seems like a great guy. Blah blah blah. And the Braves started this year with Freddie Gonzalez, and now they have Brian Snitker. So, lo and behold, you have Terry Collins, who's the longest tenured manager in the National League East right now, and he has had exactly one winning season in his six years 
as the manager of the Mets, and let's face it, he was in the middle of mediocrity in 2015 before they had the great ending of the season. Now, now, now remember that. Remember what I just said. The Mets were sub-500 in late June. The Mets were, were they sub, let's see, they got to, they were like one game over 500 in the middle of July. The Mets looked like they were about to, you know, fall to 500 in that series against Washington in late July when they started winning those games. That's fine. So that really means, because they were right around a 500 team until a spectacular ending. So after July 24th, they were one game over 500. One game over 500, and they went on to go 41-24 the rest of the way. And now they're 500 this year. In other words, under Terry Collins, they have been the definition of mediocrity, save for a three-month run. August, September, October. And now they're back to mediocrity. And Terry Collins has made a lot of strange decisions as the manager of the Mets this year. And his time in Houston ended in and in Anaheim, both of them ended with not exactly being on great terms. I've never met Terry Collins. I don't know the man. All I know is that he's been managing for 12 years, and he has one trip to the postseason in those 12 years, and if not for a spectacular final two months of the season, he would not have. He would have zero trips to the postseason, and it's looking more and more like they are missing a spectacular chance to take over the city of New York. And what I'm saying is, sometimes you make it. You make a change. Sometimes you recognize it's not working. I'm not one who likes to call for a manager to be fired based upon any sort of vindictive emotion I might be feeling, I sometimes look up and say, there's got to be someone better for that job. And sometimes it is on a winning team. Last year, the Washington Nationals, they had Matt Williams, who the previous year was for some reason that historians, poets, and sociologists will never be able to figure out, was labeled the manager of the year in the National League. And by the end of the next year, it was clear he had no business managing in the National League. Off he went. They brought in Dusty. Whatever you think of Dusty. And let me tell you, I've said many, many, many critical things about Dusty Baker on this podcast. But one thing you cannot deny is his teams tend to do well in the regular season. Oh, he manages like Mr. Magoo. I've said that we need to have Cyrano de Bergerac, that you have to have someone sitting next to him saying, now you take the pitcher out. Now you, no, 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 no. Don't pinch run from now. Don't pinch run from now. But lo and behold, the Nats are going to be the fourth team he brings to the, to the postseason. And yes, the Nationals are going to win this division. Absolutely they are. So maybe it's time for Terry Collins to go. Because maybe he's not the guy for this ship. Now, is that fair to say? 
Is that fair to say, Sully? Because they've had so many injuries. Oh, they've had injuries. Do you know what other team has had injuries this year? Every team in baseball. You don't think the Texas Rangers have had injuries? They lost Prince Fielder. They've had you Darvish for about an hour. They've lost 80% of their starting rotation and their closer and their starting right fielder for most of the year and their starting DH who put up an MVP caliber season last year or at least got some MVP votes. They lost all of them. And they're up by seven games in their division. Everyone has injuries. The Giants have had injuries, left and right. You know, the Dodgers have had injuries. You know, the Cubs lost Kyle Schwarber. I don't even know who's on the Cardinals now. The Cardinals are losing their phenoms. They had so many injuries that they, I, I don't even know who half the players are on the team. Everyone has injuries. Everyone, yes, losing David Wright was terrible. Yes, losing Matt Harvey is terrible. They still have Cologne, Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Mats in their rotation. They still have Familia and Addison Reed in their bullpen. They're batting James Loney cleanup. You know, yes, the Cespedes is on the disabled list. Got it. Yes, Conforto's not exactly having a world-beating season. Understood. Yes, they brought in the wife-beater, Jose Reyes, for reasons unknown, and he stunk, and now he's on the 15-day disabled list, and hopefully they'll come to their grips and cut his ass. Duda's hurt. Ligaris is hurt. I understand all that. But they still have the strength of their rotation. And they're now a 500 team with that rotation I just said, even with Matt Harvey gone, is totally inexcusable. Totally inexcusable. And, you know, maybe it's time. Because the Venn diagram of what has happened in New York may not come back anytime soon. The opportunity to be the team of New York is something beyond simply, oh, well, you know, we're going to try to contend. You could be the team of New York, wrestle it away from the Yankees. Get the press, get the attention, get the eyeballs, get the TV money, get the revenue. Get all that crap and take advantage of it. And maybe... Just maybe, you got to make a few changes. And that may include saying goodbye to Terry Collins. I, I, Terry Collins isn't Gil Hodges. Terry Collins isn't Bud Harrelson, some beloved figure in Mets history. Terry Collins is the call central casting and get me a stereotype of an old crusty manager. Maybe they got to get something else. Maybe they got to get someone else. I'm not saying that he's the reason, but he is not a part of the solution. 
There is not one thing that will happen that will turn things around. But hey, sometimes pulling out the bad tooth could be what you need. Matt Williams in that clubhouse last year, I mean, a big part of it was the Mets went on a great run, but you look up and down. They had a good team last year. They had the MVP. They had a lot of power in that lineup, up and down. They got some really good years out of their starters, back and forth. Yes, their bullpen was a bit of a catastrophe down the stretch. But do you know what? It didn't work out. They recognized it. They made the change. And now look at them. Would you be stunned if the Nationals won the World Series? Of course you wouldn't be. Of course. And last year, they spiraled out of control. Bring in a new manager. This is not correlation equals causation, but it's showing maybe that's one part of it. And maybe that one part of it could lead to something, could lead to something, could lead to something. There's usually not one thing that needs to change. It's usually a series of things. Grady Little wasn't the right guy for the Red Sox. They brought in Francona and they brought in other people. Francona turned out to be the right guy for the Red Sox, partly because he also had some of the different players on the team, but it also worked out. So, think about it. Think long and hard about it. Close your eyes. Imagine it happening in your head. Mets, this is something you may not see again for a while. This was something that was inconceivable in 2010 with the Yankees coming off a championship, the Yankees having a team full of new superstars, the Yankees going on spending sprees again, and the Mets stinking up the joint. And here we are six years later and a chance to take the city. I don't think Terry Collins is the man. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be against dropping him now. Because if he's not the man now, then why are you continuing with him? You're 500. It's the middle of August. We're past the trade deadline. This could be who they are. Did you go into the season thinking they were a 500 team, even with the injuries? Of course you didn't. Might be time for something drastic, like telling you who owned baseball. Uh, who owned baseball yesterday? That would be Danny Duffy, complete game, victory, 2-1, Royals over the White Sox in the game between the greatest underachievers in the AL Central. George Springer got five hits over the course of the Astros' doubleheader sweep of the Twins, including a home run and drove in five runs. Jameson Tallion threw uh, eight shutout innings as the Pirates beat San Diego. Charlie Blackman went four for six with a home run. Rockies beat Texas in a slugfest. 12 to 9, half wobs. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, as I mentioned, pitched a great game for the Red Sox, but whoops, there's the bullpen. Uh, Kenny Vargas homered twice, but the Twins lost to the Astros 15 to 7. And Eric Ibar single doubled and homered, but couldn't help the Braves from getting their butts kicked by the Brewers 11 to 3. So if you're keeping score at home, that's Charlie Blackman, that's Danny Duffy, that's George Springer, that's James Italian. Full wobs, half wobs, Kenny Vargas, uh, Eric Ibar, and Eduardo. Rodriguez. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, sort of iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, and everywhere. The music was by who? By Ted Thacker, and also by Patrick Kaliski. Look at that. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 12th day of August 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. We'll be talking Rangers baseball tomorrow. 
อันนี้คือของที่สอง